amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Do you believe you can live a pain-free, vital life? Do you want to step back into your power and share your gifts with the world? Are you ready to make a commitment to you? It's time to reclaim your inheritance as a self-healer. Welcome to The Nature of Healing. Hello, healers. I'm Roseanne. What would you do if faced with a choice where your answer could cost you your career, but it could also set you on a new path? Would you go with your gut or would you go with the expected answer? Michelle McAllister Krinsky used to be a registered nurse in the state of Ohio with an expertise in neonatal nursing. Her position of 29 years in the special care nursery was terminated for refusing to take the flu vaccine. No exemptions were allowed in her unit. For many years now, all healthcare employees have been mandated to get the flu vaccine annually or lose their jobs. Most simply accept the mandate and ignore any physical or emotional symptoms that might arise, not only from injecting toxins, but also from feeling coerced to do something that they might normally choose not to do. It takes courage to stand up for your convictions and go against the grain. Michelle is with me today to talk about her experience of when push came to shove. Welcome, my friend, Michelle McAllister Krinsky. Hi, Roseanne. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate you having me on your show. Well, I appreciate you, and I'm honored that you're here. We first met at the uh, U.S. Health Freedom Congress in 2018 when, when I asked you to share your story of courage with the group of health freedom organizations that were gathered under one roof in Minnesota, and there you had a small room of full support. <laughs> um, yeah, that was just about, what, about six months after I had been terminated that you invited me to come, and that was the first experience I had like that and actually sharing my story um, to a group of people. So that was quite an honor for me and I did appreciate all the support that I received from that Congress. Well, I had learned about you. You had been doing, um, you've been sharing your story on local radio in Ohio before that and, and since then in other venues. And I think the story comes at an important time when Americans find themselves at a crossroads. I mean, they're losing their freedom to choose for themselves and their families under these new fascist dictates that come in the form of vaccine mandates. And most either don't understand what's happening or don't seem to care. You do. Would you start us off, Michelle, by sharing your story? Yeah, um, definitely. So I guess to go back to the beginning, because this has kind of evolved over a couple years. For one, I was a nurse for 35 years prior to being terminated, and I still am a registered nurse. I'm just not actively practicing right now, but have been a nurse for 35 years, five years in a pediatric intensive care unit. And then the last 29 before my termination, 
was in a level two special care nursery. Um, so long history of nursing and, you know, loved my job, went into nursing um, to take care of people, babies, children, um, have a very compassionate, empathetic heart and love bedside nursing. That's what I wanted to do. So always did enjoy what I was practicing. So up until all those years being a nurse, the flu shot was never mandatory. It was always optional. I always chose to decline it because I've always really my whole history, I've been a very healthy person, uh, take good care of myself, good nutrition, you know, exercise, sunlight, uh, eat, just eat really healthy. And I think I have a very healthy immune system. I rarely get sick. I had never had the flu before. I rarely, very infrequently ever even get a cold through the winter. So I felt no need to take a flu shot. So about, I think it was, I'm not sure the exact year, but about eight years ago, the flu shot became mandatory at the hospital I worked at. And myself, along with everyone else, you know, when they say something's mandatory, I guess I didn't give it a whole lot of thought because you, I guess, believe that the people that you're working for, I mean, there's a reason they made it mandatory. I don't know if it was studies that they did that showed, you know, patient risk and healthcare connection, patient risk, all that stuff. You know, I thought, okay, it's mandatory. I guess there's a reason. And you get in line and you take it. So I did that for five or six years. I took the flu shot without a whole lot of question about it. And then when I start questioning, a couple of things had happened to me in the same year. One, I became vegan. I had been a vegetarian for 25 years prior to that, but became vegan and then just the ethics of a vegan lifestyle and questioning the production. I'm constantly talking about, uh, you know, factory farms and the mass production of animals. Well, it goes right along with vaccine production and, and the ethics of how they produce those vaccines, which is either egg-based or, you know, insect-based or they use uh, canine kidney cells. I mean, no matter how the flu shot most vaccines are produced, it's, in my opinion, unethical from my standpoint. So that was one thing. But at the same time, my dad had been diagnosed with dementia. And I was doing a lot of uh, research, a lot of just looking into reasons for cognitive decline, Alzheimer's, dementia, and I guess my eyes were really open in that research because I kept coming across articles on heavy metals, mercury, aluminum, and the effect on the brain. And the studies on kids with autism, autopsies on kids with, that had had autism and people with dementia and how they were finding all these heavy metal deposits in the brain. And that was, I guess I kind of knew that, but hadn't really looked into it that much. And um, you know, you start doing some research and it takes you further and further into other research. Well, a study by Hugh, Dr. Hugh Feudenberg popped up that I happened to read and it was on the flu shot and heavy metals in the flu shot. And his study showed that if you took a flu shot five years, five consecutive years in a row, and you were taking, still taking like the multi-dose flu shot that had the mercury in it, which they all used to be that way. Now they are, there are some single dose, but I believe if you go to a Kroger's, a CVS, a Walgreens, any of those kind of places, you're going to get the multi-dose still that has the mercury in it. And his study showed if you took a flu shot five years in a row with mercury in it, that your risk for dementia, for Alzheimer's, would increase tenfold. 
So that was just, that was like an alarming statistic to me. And that took me into, I'm like, oh my God. So my father's got dementia. My father, my grandfather died from Alzheimer's. You know, I've got this genetic predisposition. I don't need to be doing anything that's going to make me more prone to developing dementia. And so I really took that. That was like just um, a red light went off in my mind. And I thought, okay, I need to look into this further. Well, so I started doing research on the flu vaccine. And what I found was just alarming. I never gave a thought to the ingredients in the flu shot because I, you know, myself, I imagine most people think it's a little bit of the, the inactivated flu virus, some saline, they inject it, you know, no big deal. But there's a whole list of, of you know, chemicals, detergents, chemicals, formaldehyde, um, polysorbate 80, you know, steroids, antibiotics, not to mention the foreign DNA, DNA, which comes from an animal or an insect line. And I thought, oh my God, like this is, what is this? It's like a toxic soup of just like a concoction that it kind of was just, it surprised me and it alarmed me. And um, I just kept looking more and more into it. And when, the more I looked into it, the risk of the ingredients, the, you know, how highly compensated the flu shot is one of the most highly compensated vaccines for injury. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then I start reading stories of all the people that were injured. I And then I met someone who actually was, um, paralyzed, had Guillain-Barre from her flu shot, spent three weeks in the ICU. They, you know, her family had been called. They thought she was not going to live. And she was uh, 45 years old at the time. She now, 12 years later, she's become a very good friend of mine. 12 years later, still has residual nerve damage in her legs, still has bad days from getting her flu shot. So, you know, this is a vaccine that carries a lot of risk. People you know, they push it like candy, come to CVS and get your flu shot, but they don't tell people that there are risks involved. So for me, I think it came down to my ethics was a big part of it. And then my, just my conscientious concern after reading all about this vaccine, the risks, the ingredients, it's like, I'm a healthy person. Why do I want this injected into me? So I chose to, um, when flu season, you know, quote, flu season came around and they started with the flu clinics and we had to get in line and get them. I, at that time, we were able to file uh, paperwork to decline the flu vaccine. You know, I'd seen other coworkers in previous years, you know, and then you have to wear a mask. That was the flu, the hospital policy. If you decline the vaccine, you would have to mask. I knew that going in. I knew it wouldn't be comfortable. It's not fun to wear a mask for an eight or 12 hour shift by any means. And it, you know, it's about a five month period. You have to wear that. But to me, that was worth it after knowing what I did about the vaccine and after my ethics were like very, you know, priority priority to me. So I thought I, I can deal with this mask. I don't want to take this vaccine. So I put in the paperwork and, you know, at the time I, I was actually very naive. The research I did, I had done on my own. I was not in any vaccine groups. I I really had no knowledge except for what I knew on my own. I, I definitely didn't have any knowledge about rights and exemptions. I went to employee health. I picked up the form that we signed. It was a form of declination, you know, and it basically just said, why don't you want to take the flu shot? And I put down my reasons, my, my ethical reasons of being vegan and my conscientious concerns of the ingredients and the risk. And that was that. And I submitted it. 
made sure that various departments got it, made sure my manager knew I submitted it. And no one ever came to me and said, okay, it's time to start masking, um, which is policy. They just let it be. And that was October. I filed that paperwork. I got a call mid-January from my manager asking me to come to work early and that we needed to discuss the flu shot. So when I got there, I was met by my manager, a couple other managers, someone from nursing administration and um, someone from HR, like the head HR guy, was basically told that the policy changed over the winter. Our unit became non-exempt and my paperwork I submitted, it you know basically didn't matter and I would have to get the shot or I would be terminated. And they gave me a two week period to, to think about it. So, um, you know, came out of the clear blue. It was like really a shock to me. I, it wasn't even in consideration because, like I said, we years prior to that, I know others had declined and wore the mask and it was not an issue. So, um, and you know what, Michelle, uh, wearing yeah. a mask, it's a shaming ritual. Well, sure, you find out that that mask is totally irrelevant. I mean, it doesn't, it's not going to prevent the spreading of virus. It only spreads like big droplets, but, you know, it's not going to, well, they've already said it's ineffective. That's why they told me I couldn't wear a mask. That was ineffective. So it was ineffective for my unit, but the rest of the hospital, they still have people mask, which is, it's ridiculous. Like you said, it's almost like, okay, put your mask on so everyone knows that you declined the flu shot. Yeah. So so what they're doing is at this point is they want to make an example of you. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and, and you know what, if you're told you have to wear a mask for the next five months, that's a big deciding factor. I think for people, even if they don't want to get the shot, they're like, can I endure wearing a mask for five months? You know, it's ridiculous. So they go ahead and, and get it. At the time I thought, so well at that meeting I said, can I, this was mid-January, so there were about six weeks left until we wouldn't have to mask anymore till flu season was over. I said, can I take a six week leave of absence unpaid? No, that wasn't a possibility. And it was just kind of funny, Roseanne, because they told me that I, no, that wouldn't work because you could still be shedding the flu virus when you come back to work. I'm like, how can I shed the flu virus, for one, if I never even had the flu? And for two, you only shed the flu virus when you're actively, you know, when you're sick with it. But that was the reason why, you know, I could never come back to the nursery once I left the nursery if I wasn't vaccinated. I asked to be if I could be moved to a non-patient care area. That was, you know, a no-go. And then I said, if I did move to another unit that, that was still allowed to mask, could I come back to the nursery? I mean, this is a, a unit I'd worked in for 29 years. Can I come back to this, you know, when flu season's over? And that was no. So really the only, my only option if I wanted to keep that job was to get the vaccine. You know, so I'm like heading towards retirement. I've got a, you know, retirement account I'm trying to build up. Um, and the fact that I just, I mean, I like my job. I love my job. You know, I worked with babies and families and did a lot of teaching and um, it really wasn't something one that I wanted to lose and financially was able to use lose I had health insurance that I wasn't really able to give up so you know it was it's like coercion I took the shot so I went and got my vaccine shot or my flu shot and when you know five days later I was so sick I woke up had 102 fever, you know, the whole works, body aches, chills, uh, horrible cough, which ended up going into bronchitis. And I was, I was literally sick for two weeks. 
So was it from the shot? I'm assuming so. Was it the fact that it was the height of the season when there were a lot of people sick? You know, my immune system took a hit and um, then I did pick up something. I don't know. But all I know is that I'm a very healthy person. I was very healthy before I had to take that shot. I took it and got horribly sick. Like, I was mad at myself. Like, I was mad at him. I was mad at myself. Like, why did you do it? Like, you, you're never sick. Look how sick you got. And actually, the year before that, when I took the shot, I had a localized reaction, which, you know, a lot of people do. You get that, like, hard knot in your arm and your arm aches. And, you know, every year you, I got it, it's like you feel kind of crummy for a couple of days. I think most people experience that, and then it goes away. But the year prior, I had this knot in my arm for like a month. And I remember at the time thinking, okay, if it does that to my arm, like what's it doing to the rest of, you know, my body? But again, it's like, well, it's just a, a side effect of the shot. It, I had it for about a month. It went away. But when I got so sick that year, so that was 2016, I guess I was made to take the shot or, you know, given the, the ultimatum to take the shot, I got so sick and I, at the time, I thought, no way, never again. Like, it, this is, it's went against my intuition, my ethics, my principles, my everything, you know, but I took it to keep that job, and I thought, no way. Well, and you get, and you get the flu, basically. So what is their answer? The what, what is their well, answer to people who take the shot and get the flu? They are shedding virus, and they allow exactly. them back to work? There is no answer, Roseanne. I mean, they don't track that. I mean, as far as I know, the hospital, I, I know the hospital does not track, you know, if you get sick from the shot. Because I can tell you, a, a large, I mean, I'm not going to say half the unit that I worked in, at least probably, I mean, quite a few people after that flu shot would end up with, you know, upper respiratory illnesses, which is proven. Like, you can look at studies of the flu vaccine, and people are more susceptible than to getting respiratory infections. I mean, people would be coughing and hacking and, you know, so sick, they'd have to go get chest x-rays. Well, like, did the hospital care? They didn't care if the flu shot's actually making you sick. They only care that you get that shot because you, you, I'm sure you know as far, and I know now that I've looked into it more, because it's all related to quality markers and employee compliance, which came out with through the Affordable Care Act and Healthy People 2020, those initiatives, uh -huh. they have to make, they have to reach a certain percentage employee compliance, employee compliance. Um, so it's basically like you're a check mark in a quality marker box. They need you vaccinated so that they can submit that and it affects their Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement. They're fined if they don't have, it used to be, you know, they were fined if they didn't report it, and now they have to report it, meet a certain compliance, and it's, I, I don't know the exact percentage, but I know it ties into their reimbursements. That's been stated by many doctors in many different places. So, I mean, bottom line is I don't think they care what the shot's doing to you. It's, I guess, in, in so many ways, it's out of their hands because it's it's written it's, it's like federal guidelines, you know, and I guess they have to comply or they're going to get, you know, they're going to get either fined or not their reimbursements back. And I'm sure for a large hospital, it's probably a lot of money. So, um, right. It's, it's, 
in their actions, they're showing you exactly what you're saying. It, they don't care about the, any association between the shot and the outcome because otherwise they would be checking for uh, the virus in people who end up getting sick after they take the vaccine. They would want to know, they would want to track that. Just what you're saying, money is the bottom line. Yeah. I mean, my, money is always the bottom line. And I think when you so if you line up take your shot you think you're doing it for for a good reason like to protect yourself and to protect the patients you're taking care of then that makes sense you know that makes sense to take it but when you find out that how truly ineffective that flu shot is for someone my age that flu shot that they were giving on the vaccine insert the efficacy is 13.8 percent for over 50 years old Okay, and the older you get, the less effective. I've talked to doctors that said that 13, 8% is probably a high number, that it's probably more like five to 10. So, you know, you're taking all the risk and being forced to take a shot that is completely ineffective, that's gonna probably make you sick, not help anything. And then you find out that the bottom line is not because you're doing it for patient safety or for your own safety, you're doing it because you have to, to meet a compliance. It's just uh, really infuriating to me. Like I lost my job because of that, but they'll never say that. They make it, they have to push it as patient protection or no one would want to take it. You know? Right. And that's the irony. Uh, this is not about science. It's, it's the groups who call themselves science-based and they don't use the science in, in their own protocols. You know, I remember doing research on this years ago in writing articles about this. And I remember the Cochrane database, which is, it used to be an independent database of research. They were showing that the flu shot did not protect against transmission, which is what, which is what these hospitals are claiming it does. It protects against transmission. And the other ironic thing is if they're making hospital workers take this shot to prevent transmission to patients, why are they allowing anybody and everybody walking in off the street into that <laughs> hospital? Isn't that a perfect question? I brought that up. It's like, okay, so I'm being fired because I didn't take the shot, but you're letting every, you know, anyone off the street who wants to come and visit. And I worked in a nursery, right? So they really didn't. I don't know what they're doing now. I've been away for two years, but at the time, I mean, pretty much anyone in their neighbor could come to a delivery, could come to visit your baby. I mean, you know, siblings that had recently been vaccinated with live virus vaccines that are shedding, um, or even the, the flu mist, that's a live, you know, virus vaccine, you know, get, get a shot of flu mist up your nose and then come sit and visit in the nursery. I mean, it, it to me, it makes absolutely no sense because there is, there's so much potential transmission and there's never been, there's been no studies that actually can um, say that a healthcare worker, you know, gave a patient, like you, you can't statistically say that, that, you know, employees being vaccinated is going to keep patients more protected. When, like you said, there's visitors coming and going and they can't, they can't stay at the, you know, at the door and make sure mandate everyone, every visitor coming in has been vaccinated. I mean, that's, they can't do that. And it's not, not, you know, never happened. So yeah, the amount of people that are always coming and going and coughing and sneezing, if anything, the nurses, you know, especially in the environment I worked in with babies, I mean, we were very cautious. And typically for a professional person, 
if you felt like you were getting a cold or you were getting the flu, like you're gonna you're gonna stay home. You know, you're not gonna come and spread your germs to your coworkers and to your patients, to the to the kids, to the babies you were taking care of. And even, you know, if you had a sniffle or maybe just a little cold coming on, we would put a mask on and be protective. I mean, a lot more protective than your typical visitor that's coming in to visit. And, you know, using extra good hand washing. It's always to kind of, you know, control the spread of germs and viruses with, you know, there's plenty of protective mechanisms besides making someone get a flu shot. That's obviously very ineffective. Well, you, you stated so, something really important, you know, the control of, when you said the control of, my mind went right to the control of employees, and which is what you found out. It's really not about the control of any viruses that might run rampant in the hospital. Uh, you know, we are, we are made of bacteria, viruses, um, yeast. We have a microbiome, a virum. We are more microbes than human cells, and yet the hospital doesn't want to acknowledge that and this is all about controlling the human mind and coercing people to go by their rules or go away well sure yeah no, and I've you know I learned that big time that in well I guess we can get to um, advocacy and things that are going on but I mean I, I found out that it's you know unless state laws change that hospital has the right to you know, fire anyone. When you're in a state that has at-will employment law, they can fire you for any reason, unless it's discrimination, you know, unless it's religious discrimination or national origin or, you know, race, sex, something like that. But you can be fired for pretty much anything unless, unless the state laws change. So, you know, I found that out. So after that, after I got the shot and got so sick, you know, time went on, you're busy. i I work about four days a week. I've, you know, I've got a family. I've got lots of animals I take care of. Um, the days, months come and go, and boom, before you know it, it's like flu season again, and they're posting for the for the flu clinic. So I just gotten that shot in January, got horribly sick, and by the following end of September, they're saying it's time for a flu shot again. Okay, so like I was almost like in a state of panic because I thought, why didn't I? I should have like done, I should have done more before I got to that point, you know, looked into it more. What are my rights? What, what are my alternatives? Um, I hadn't. And all I know is it was time to get another flu shot. And I thought I'm not going to do this because I was so sick. I now have my friend Lisa who was paralyzed by this flu shot. I've read all these other stories of injury and my intuition, you know how that I really listened to my my intuition and my gut feelings and my gut feeling was like, no, like, don't do it. Yeah, you love your job and basically kind of need a job, but don't do it. I just had that kind of feeling that, okay, two years in a row, you had a reaction. You could be the next person, you know, paralyzed. Then it would have been my own fault for not listening to my intuition. So I... I spent a month putting all this vaccine information together, everything, every kind of research and study I could find on, on the flu shot. I put together all the ingredients, the risk. I, with the help of my son, put a video, a short video together with um, Dr. Tim Penny and Suzanne Humphreys and Dr. Moss and Dr. Um, oh, he was at the, at the Congress, Dr. Geyer, you know, all, all the different really vaccine experts in their field talking about the flu shot and 
I took all that information to my manager and you know, sat and had a conversation with her about an hour conversation and um, it, you know, it just bottom line, it didn't matter. It, it, it didn't matter what you presented, what your thoughts were, your, your concerns, what my ethics were. It, it didn't matter. It's very black and white. You either you're vaccinated and you can stay working here or you choose not to be vaccinated and you're going to be terminated. I mean, it, there was no negotiation with anything. It's like, that's just, this is the policy now and sorry, this is the way it is. And so after that meeting, I was, I had, I was scheduled to work the next day. I worked the next day and I was terminated just like that. I mean, 29 years. Well, you talked about how they can't fire people for different reasons, including religious reasons. Could you have used religious exemption at that point? So, yeah. So my takeaway for anyone who's dealing with this situation, for any healthcare workers that, you know, are dealing with this, it's, it's throughout the country. Nurses are, are being put into this position. So let me tell you what I learned. Number one, the only real way to get around it is a religious exemption. So when I put in my paperwork, again, at the time, like knowing nothing, you know, just putting down my true feelings, why I didn't wanna take this vaccine, I stated my vegan ethics. Well, to a lot of people, veganism's a lifestyle, not a religion. So I, you know, I have found working with the EEOC that that's not necessarily true. It's as long as it's a strongly held belief, there's a pretty broad definition of religion. Um, so they, you know, they're willing to work with that because that is a strongly held belief to me, and to me, just as much as you know someone else's religious um, views. But that is about the only way. I mean, they're not going to look at a philosophical exemption or an ethical exemption or even, you know, my unit, even a medical exemption. They weren't, it was like no exemption. Oh, we'll get to get back to that. They wouldn't take an exemption. That's, that's what happened. So the year wow. I was terminated, they put out, you know, when they came to me the year before and said, your paperwork's declined and our policy changed, this unit's not exempt they put out a blanket statement that um, you couldn't file an exemption to our whole floor. So that's the whole OB area plus the emergency room at that time. Like we were not exempt. Basically like don't bring us an exemption because it's this unit's now non-exempt. So that year I was terminated. I didn't file an exemption again in hindsight was not smart because what I do know now is Title Seven of the 1964 Civil Rights Act gives you the ability to file an exemption. I mean, everyone has that right. Healthcare workers have that right to file an exemption. They cannot deny you that. Now, do they take it and throw it in a garbage can? I don't know, but you have the right to file that. And then if it's declined, then you can go to the EEOC, um, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and say, you know, I filed a religious exemption and I was denied this and let them take it into their hands and look at it and decide. And, you know, and you can get somewhere that way because that is about, from what I'm finding, religious exemptions are about the only way you're going to get around it and, until state law was changed. I was going to say, uh, really fortunate here in Ohio, we've got two really strong advocacy groups, Ohio Advocates for Medical Freedom and Health Freedom Ohio. And they do great work in, you know, educating, bringing awareness, um, 
working with representatives at the state house and trying to get legislation passed. So just recently, back in June, there was, when I was terminated, there was House Bill 193 that sort of sat for a long time and didn't get anywhere, which was uh, to keep employers from being able to file fire employees like like myself um, for refusing a flu shot. So they reintroduced House Bill 268, which is the Medical Consumer Protection Act. And it was just introduced in June. And actually, I was like very honored. I got invited to speak at the State House with um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Dr. James Lyons-Weiler and Dr. Alvin Moss, who was in my video, and Kevin Berry from First Freedoms. And they had a press conference with really, you know, a, a nice crowd of people and some um, news news organizations to cover it. So that is a new house bill that we have, hopefully will be pending. I mean, it, it was introduced and now I'm not sure where it is right at this point. And, you know, it takes all that kind of stuff takes a while, but it's House Bill 268, the Medical Consumer Protection Act. And that will prohibit an employer from taking an adverse employment action against a person who, who has not or will not be vaccinated. I mean, those are the kind of laws that states need so people don't get put into this kind of situation. That's excellent. And it just shows the power of the people. What people can do is uh, engaging with their legislator to tell them what kind of laws need to be written. And, and you're doing great Absolutely. work in Ohio, all of you. Oh, yeah. Like I said, those groups, I've, I've learned so much. I mean, they're really strong leadership and um, medically, politically, I mean, people that really know what they're doing and they, they do. They do great work and I've, I've learned a lot from them and I'm glad to help both of those organizations, um, you know, doing some health fairs and just getting the education and the awareness out. Uh, a lot of people are just, as I was myself, kind of just not very aware about all the vaccines, not just the flu vaccine, but all the vaccines. And like you said at the beginning of the program, that our rights are slowly but surely being taken away right in front of our eyes and people just don't know. You know, these, these sweeping vaccine mandates are just, they're sweeping across the country. And, you know, you, never, you don't know what state's going to be next in line to have all of your exemptions removed. I mean, right now it's for kids, but you and I both know that the adult vaccine schedule is coming out. They're saying by 2020, you know, and I feel like it's just a matter of time that, you know, the adults are going to get hit. The healthcare people have already been hit. I, I would imagine like the teachers groups will be net, but then the general adult population, I mean, where's this going to lead? Is it going to be, you have to show your vaccine papers to get your driver's license renewed or, you know, to step on an airplane or to go to a public arena who knows where they can take this, but if you look at Healthy People 2020, it's kind of all outlined and it's, uh, it's not good. It's, it's not a good scenario to not have any say on what's happening to you and what's being injected into you. It's not a place where I want to be. And for that reason, I'm actually, you know, the fact that I lost my job, it was, uh, it was sad to me. I really, for a while really missed it and, and working with the EEOC I kind of had hoped to to get my job back but the, the further out I am I'm I'm really glad to be out of that environment because it's it's not really an environment that I um, want to be a part of anymore you know that the pharma kind of controlled industry I just I 
I'm glad to be to have stepped out of that arena. Well, you are a free thinker and you, you think for yourself and you do the research. And when you find the answers that convince you why, you know, you should trust your gut. I mean, that that's worth a whole lot, Michelle. And you, you mentioned the 20, the Healthy People 2020 Act. For those who don't know, it's supposed to come out in 2020. And uh, like you mentioned, I think what they've been doing up till now is, is beta testing the population. And they're testing the states of California and New York. So it goes from the coasts and it will travel mm-hmm. inland. They're trying to create homogenized vaccine mandates all across the nation and then you know they're they're testing Canada with David Steffen's case uh, and his family where they're going against parents making choices for the benefit right. of their children and so there it's an attack on all levels and if they you know when they introduce the healthy people 2020 act they are going to go after those people who want to go into a hospital, you're going to have to show your vaccine papers. They are going to that, that level now. Yeah, I can, like I said, it's, uh, who knows how that whole scenario will play out. But, you know, and Roseanne, I'll come down to informed consent. I think about this a lot, not just with vaccines, but everything that we're dealing with right now in our society um, you know, just the geoengineering, you look up at the sky and you know, that there's rain, uh, do any of us know exactly what or why? I mean, we all have our, our, you know, I guess reasons why we think they're doing it, but where's the consent? You know, the, the spraying, the, the GMOs, the, now the 5G implementation, Cincinnati's a, a trial city. Well, all of Ohio, actually, Columbus, Cleveland, Cincinnati, their small cells are popping up all over the place. And from what I've heard in September, a month from now, they're probably going to start turning on 5G here. So it's like, where's, where's the public awareness and the consent to our health? You know, this is our, like to our health. No one's ever asked, you feel, I feel like I'm in a, like a giant experiment most of the time between, between the mandated vaccines and who knows what we're inhaling when we're outside and now the 5G and, you know, it's just, where's the informed consent to say, hey, this is what we're doing. And I guess they couldn't do that because no one would agree with it. And, um, but it's just, I don't know, you know, being a nurse all those years, I, did we truly give informed consent? I, I don't necessarily think so. We gave paperwork saying this is, here, this is the vaccine that you're going to get. And do you have any questions? And nobody did. And, you know, before you have the knowledge of what's even in a vaccine or the risk, how can that be informed consent? Because you yourself weren't even truly informed. That's what, that's what I look at all the time. I think back of all, you know, unfortunately, all the babies I vaccinated, and I know nurses get a bad rap that are vaccinating kids and babies, but you have to remember that, you know, nursing school, medical school, this is the way we were taught, you know, and it's pretty much pharma like it is. It's like pharma controlled and pharma regulated, and this is the way we were taught, the CDC schedule. These are the vaccines you give. You can give six vaccines at a time, no big deal. You know, the mantra, they're safe and effective. You don't, I mean, I guess you don't really think about it, which people are like, you're a nurse, you should have been thinking about it. But when you have a, you know, they're standing orders and a doctor that's writing the orders, I guess you trust, just like the public trusts their doctors they go to. But you come to find out that those professionals don't necessarily have that education 
concerning vaccines either. I did not. I was, we, you know, I went to nursing school a long time ago, but you know, very little vaccine education. You know, at that time, I wouldn't have known a vaccine reaction, adverse event, if it like hit me in the face. My my own son was fully vaccinated, and I swear, looking back now, putting two and two together with the knowledge I have, I can guarantee he was vaccine injured. And it yes. makes me sick. You know, it's not just the kids I was vaccinating. My own son, I had didn't have that knowledge. He banged his head against the walls for three years. And, you know, walked on his toes and had sensory issues and delayed speech. And my thought is pretty much if that was now, he would probably be on the autism spectrum. Because my husband and I thought at the time he was autistic. Well, and the pediatricians would be like, no, he's just, you know, a little behind with talking. And the head banging just probably runs in your family. You know, stuff like that. They didn't, at that time, I don't even think they they put that together with all his vaccines and how he would cry and have a reaction after the vaccines and high fevers. And you know what I'm saying? It's like once you have that knowledge and you look back and kind of connect the dots, it's, uh, it's that's, tough. The you thing know, that, that's the thing, Michelle, when people start asking questions, that's when they start waking up and they, they start going down what what people call the rabbit hole. And yeah. the deeper you go into the rabbit hole, the more questions you have. And when you find your answers and people do find their own answers, they understand that this is not the world that they believed it was. And you have yeah. to face that dilemma you know, at some point, some, I say there are two kinds of people in this world, those who get caught up in the chaos, or you could describe that as the mainstream mindset and those who separate themselves from it. Because once you realize that the schooling that you had was really indoctrination, that, you know, you were made to believe something that may not have been true. And that now you realize was not true, that there is this big lie that is being kept. And it's those people who start asking questions that discover this lie. Everybody who wakes up connects the dots. It's not just vaccines. It's not just the coercion of injecting chemicals and metals into your body that affect every organ system. And everybody who has been injected once has been affected. But it is also what they're spewing in the atmosphere. It's weather warfare. They have... um, ionospheric heaters along with the chemical geoengineering all of this is connected the 5g is connected and and people are starting to connect those dots and realizing it's a lot to to tackle it's a lot to deal with and and is it in our best interest if there is no informed consent there is no informed consent so it's not in our best interest exactly like people are really um you know, I don't know. I think all the time, like, oh my gosh, like with each piece of information you gather and think about, it's 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 fairly overwhelming. And I think people that aren't aware of, of the things you're talking about, they, you know, I don't know how many people think I'm probably like a crazy person, but I don't know. It's like you, it, it's hard to process everything that's going on. But I always say too, like, don't, don't believe, I, I try to put posts out on social media just for people to to think about. I put a lot of vaccine stuff out, but even on 5G and, and you know, geoengineering, like, don't believe me because this is what I think it is or this is, you know, what I read. Like, just do the research, you know, just don't don't listen to what I'm saying. Just Just take it and, like, see what you can find. Like, start researching it and look into it and look at this information because I think everyone's got to pretty much come 
to the same conclusion once they, like you said, you kind of go down that rabbit hole. But when you start looking at all the evidence and then start piecing it all together, like you said, it does. It just, it's like all part of the bigger puzzle, all the little pieces that are connecting together. And, right. um, you know, I don't know. I don't know where we're heading. I don't, I don't know what we can do about it except to bring awareness and I guess take whatever kind of protection you can take. You know, I, I, and that's with the vaccines. Like if you want to vaccinate, if you believe in vaccines and you want your kids to have the full CDC schedule, that's your choice. You know, that's not my, I want to have that choice. I want everyone to be able to, to remain, to be able to have that choice. If you want to go out and do all the vaccines, fine. Allow me to not be vaccinated. Allow me to, you know, if I had young kids to choose what I think is in their best interest, or if I want to say, give them one vaccine, but I don't want them to have this other vaccine, you know, let parents be able to be part of what they think is in the best interest for their child and not what the government's saying needs to be given. I mean, my God, that vaccine schedule, every time I look at it, I just, I can't even believe that what we're at 72 vaccines now. I think 72 doses of 16 or 17 vaccines. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that a two-month-old baby with, like, barely an immune system, working immune system, can go in for a well check and get six to eight different vaccines. Like, you know, an immune response to six to eight different antigens, along with all the different, you know, the chemicals, the adjuvants, the, the foreign DNA. I mean, it's, it, I don't know, Roseanne, I just, like, I, I can't imagine that I ever thought that that was like, okay, okay. You know, I think back and I thought, think, I think back, I, how many babies I vaccinated at, at an hour of life. And now they come to know that that had B vaccine and the amount of aluminum that's in it. I mean, my God, when they're saying like what 20 to 25 micrograms is what they say is an okay dose or a safe dose, which I can't imagine any, any dose of aluminum being injected into a baby is safe, but they give it like that 25 microgram limit and a, a dose of hep B has 250 micrograms. You know, that boom, baby's born and they're getting a hep B vaccine. Why? You know, I mean, I, I can understand it if the, if the mother's hep B positive, then okay. But a baby that's not obviously sexually active or doing drugs, um, my gosh, put that off. And then to find out that the hep B, you know, typically wanes, so by the time they're teenagers and potentially needing that kind of protection, if you're going to vaccinate, then it's probably not even by that point in time, you know, it doesn't even do them any good. So why are they getting it as a newborn? Right. And, you know, I think when people connect these dots like you have and and you have already answered the questions for your for yourself and you can't necessarily convince other people because other people um, don't necessarily want to be convinced. Um, choice does become the most important thing that we need to preserve in this life. We need to preserve choice. And I was going to ask you, how has your decision, you know, this major decision in your life changed your life? Oh my gosh. Um, no, it really has. I guess it's taken me on a whole different path because, you know, two years ago, that was my life, pretty much my nursing profession. And I was working three and four days a week. And you're there kind of, you know, busy. I mean, where I worked was extremely busy. I think most nursing positions are extremely busy or if you're not working, you're on call. 
um, you can be mandated. So it's like just a constant treadmill of busyness and sort of stress. You know, you're taking care of sick kids and sick patients, and that's all sort of stressful. I mean, nurses, you know, I give nurses a lot of credit because I know what it's like, and um, they're doing their best to take care of their patients and oftentimes, like, being very short-staffed, you know, no breaks, no lunches. You can put in 8, 12 hours, and it's just a crazy, hectic pace. It really is. So, you know, living that kind of life and then you're you're exhausted, you're stressed when you come home and you have your, your home and your family to maintain. And, you know, I've got lots of animals, so to try to give them time and take care of them. And it leaves very little time for yourself or any kind of downtime or to do the things you enjoy. So the past, it'll be two years come this November, I guess, since I've been terminated. It's been really two years of kind of just refocusing and reflection and, you know, where do I want to go from here? Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of advocacy with, with the different vaccine groups, bringing awareness, and now I'm actually involved with a 5G awareness group here locally that we've been doing rallies and trying to get information out. So just really a lot of education, which I've enjoyed, different health fairs, uh, talking to people and spending more time with my animals and my family and getting out in nature more and, you know, doing yard work and my gardening and kind of like just enjoying all those things, getting projects done that I wasn't able to do. Right before I got fired, my both my parents were ill and, and died. So I had spent like five years taking taking care of them. And it was, you know, just a lot of stress. So I've been enjoying enjoying my time off and, and the advocacy work. And now I'm to the point where um, I'm, like, kind of ready to start something new, a holistic, you know, holistic, more holistic nursing type of career. Or I, I'm not going to say, like, a career. I'm not too far away from retirement. But something that I really enjoy, I had started a healing touch certification years ago right before my parents became ill. And I really enjoyed that energy healing. It was, it felt really right for me. I really enjoyed that when I was doing it. But it's a lot of, you have to put a lot of time into the practice of it. And you have to have so many hours in before you can go to the next step. And once I started taking care of my parents, it, it you know, that was very time consuming. I wasn't able to continue on. So looking back into getting into that program, maybe Reiki, some sort of energy healing, and I'm also very passionate about uh, plant-based nutrition. I mean, it's a lifestyle that I live and I see the health benefits from. So I'm looking at different certifications for that and maybe be able to bring the two of those together, do some um, nutritional coaching and energy healing, some pet sitting in there, you know. That's great. Things, yeah, you know, things that, that I'm passionate about, that I enjoy, um, a more holistic approach, all those kind of things. So just taking it a day at a time and seeing where it, where it leads me, working on these certifications and, and see where they lead me. Well, certifications do, do one thing, but you're already a healer, Michelle. You're already healing uh, just by the way you live and the way, you know, it comes through. It doesn't just come through your hands. It comes through your voice. It comes through your teaching and coaching and it just the way you you are, you choose to live. I mean, you have accepted that role now as a healer in a different way. You don't have to do it through a hospital anymore. Isn't that funny? And I think it's something intuitively you just know. And thank you for saying that. But I've always sort of felt that about myself. I mean, 
that that I am a healer. I think we're all healers. You know, I think you just have to acknowledge that and, and live that. But when you're in an environment more with pharma and medications and, um, you know, constant illness and stuff like that, I think it's harder to, I don't know. It's just, I mean, I feel like I've stepped away and have taken a deep breath and like, okay, like now I can be like who I'm supposed to be. You know, now I can live you know, a, a holistic life and I, you know, I eat organically and I'm out in the sun and just enjoying nature and the hearing the birds thing, you know, it's just like, it's like that kind of internalization. And I think when I was doing that healing touch and you put your hands, you know, you can feel the energy in your hands. And when you practice that with each other and knowing that like, we're, you know, we're all, that's what we are. We're energy. And it's such a powerful thing. And we are, we're here, we're here to help each other and to heal each other and be a positive influence and, you know, to share, share love and, um, you know, positive energy. So that's, that's really my focus now, just moving forward. I just want to um, live kind of a simple life and just, just, I don't know, be more relaxed, I guess, and enjoy my animals and my family and nature. And like I said, see, see where it all goes. Oh, that's beautiful, Michelle. I mean, that is the meaning of life. You found, I think you found it. And it's it's what people are searching for and they don't realize it, that they, exactly what you said, they are already healers. They're born healers and they don't understand the true power that they are. And if they did, this whole world could change in an instant. Well, I think people just get too wrapped up, Roseanne, as I was like in day-to-day living in your jobs and stress and family and um you know, it's, and all that's good. And that, that brings you things that, you know, financially, I guess, nice things. But what I have found since I don't have that income coming in that, you know, we had to step back a little bit, simplify, we're not eating out like we used to and um, cutting expenses here and there, but that's okay. You know, that's, that's okay. Because what I've gained from being in nature and working in my yard and just staying home, it, it's more important than things you can buy with money. So it, you know, to me, it's, it just feels really good. Well, great. I'm so happy for you. And I'm so honored that you, you came and talked today about your experience. Well, I so appreciate you asking me to do this and I appreciate your friendship. I've learned so much from you and um, thank you for, for last year for inviting me to the Congress, which I enjoyed so much and, and learned from all those and the speakers that were there. It's, you know, it's been a continual, I feel like it's been a journey the past two years and every single person that I've met, I've learned something from. Everyone has their strengths and their knowledge in, in various topics. And really, I just feel like I, I'm trying to take in everything that I can and learn from the different people that, you know, paths that I cross. And it's, um, it's been an adventure. It's been a really good journey. So even though I lost my job, I feel like it's kind of taken me to where I'm supposed to be. So it, it all worked out. Perfect. And so for people who want to get a hold of you, how do they reach you for coaching or speaking or whatever? I guess if they want to go to just my Facebook page, um, Michelle McAllister Krinsky, if they're on Facebook, just go there and send me a private message, I guess would be the best thing. Okay, and I can put any of these links in the show notes so people can reach you that way. Okay, that would be great. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you having me on. It was delightful talking with you. Thank you so much, Michelle. And thank you all, listeners. Until next time, lots of love. 
visit or consult with Roseanne Lindsay, naturopath, at natureofhealing.org. Or you can find her books at her website and at Amazon.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.